Welcome, welcome to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're here with us uh, this Saturday and again on Sunday for two hours of deliciousness, tastiness, thoughtfulness, and uh, excitingness. I'm not sure. Excitement. Excitement. I'm Tom Douglas, uh, chef owner of a couple of joints here in Seattle, including Serious Takeout in Ballard, uh, Serious Pie Downtown, Dahlia Bakery's opening this week. Uh, we've got Seatown uh, in the market uh, down there, the north end of the Pike Place Market area. That's Seatown, uh, Rub Shack, and Edda's combined, and we're starting to work on getting our other joints open as soon as we can find teams to kind of handle that business. So uh, it's it's a good day, and I am joined by my good pal, Chef Thierry Rotoro, the chef in the chapeau. Bonjour, Tom. Always a pleasure being with you here every Friday. I'm here in Madison Valley, uh, where we have Luke, Luke Restaurant, at the corner of 28 and Madison, with uh, 50% occupancy right now for our diners, and people have been coming in, in trove, and it's very, very, very nice. We unfortunately have been refusing a lot of people every day, uh, which doesn't make me happy, as you know, because mm-hmm. I remember when we didn't have enough, and now we have too much, and I'm like, gosh, when is this going to be correct? <laughs> We'll get the balance right one of these days. <laughs> Pamela, our producer, is here. Pamela, tell people uh, that are just tuning in on their radios uh, uh, how they can w- watch us on Friday mornings when we do our show. Well, Facebook Live is a real treat. Mm-hmm. You get to see behind the scenes and hear some of the uh, intelligent chatter among the production crew. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, that's generous. That's generous. And when are we going to go live again here for our radio show? Have you made it? Uh, you're in charge of that schedule, right? Yep. As soon as the hotel gets the lobby open. So we hope uh, first part of July. Okay, great. And then we'll have our ticket sales up on the hot stove. Uh, Absolutely. Com. And of course, we're doing in-person classes right now, hosted right up here in the in the school. If you ever want to know more about the hot stove, uh, just go online. Check us out. We're pretty cool. It's a really fun place. Sean is here on the tech side of things. It's going to be a big uh, day today. All two hours just jam-packed of deliciousness. Peak of the season mangoes are in the grocery stores now. It's so sad to bring in mangoes from other places when strawberries are just hitting the market and cherries are on their way and Mm -hmm. stuff. So uh, we're going to do a quick pass on the mangoes. And uh, I just put strawberry shortcake on one of the catering menus that we were doing for the first time. Strawberries are here. I've been, we've been picking them at Prosser Farm for a few weeks now, but the, the West Side strawberries are the best. Tom, I'm trying to get to mine before the snails and the birds. I know, exactly. Uh, we got lots of uh, tremendous Spanish products from the Culinary Collective with Kelly Burling today. Further thoughts on the Netflix series High on the Hog. We had some interesting and spiritual conversation uh, after last week's uh, session so we're going to pick that back up again and talk about a new episode which i haven't by a chance by been able to see personally but hopefully pamela has yep uh spring preparations for clams and mussels a garden community that gives back the new start shark garden and terry that's one of your favorite places to go on huh? inspires that you is correct very very inspiring i recommend to anyone to go there take the the weekend or whenever you can and go stroll through that garden in Burien. It's absolutely fantastic. All right. We're going to have the garden guru, Taryn Corker, here to talk about that. Lastly, we're going to play our Food for Thought Rub with Love Trivia Challenge. And, Pammy, you've thrown a curveball at us today. What's going on? 
We have invited a listener from fa- our Facebook Live audience to play with you. And I This is have, a first, isn't it? Yes, and I have a feeling she is fierce and dedicated. So, What is her name? Lori. So you think oh. that she's going to kick our butts, is what you're saying? Kindly. I didn't want to put it quite that bluntly, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just you know see what? about that, won't we, Chef? Oh, we we cannot beat the customer, Tom. Yeah, we're going to have to wait a couple hours just to see if Pamela is right. Uh, I think she's dead wrong. Um, chef, uh, what is your taste of the week this week? My breakfast this morning. Um, I, mean, I mean, I was thinking of other things, too, that are in season in my backyard. Uh, Kathy's been tending to her garden, and I go and have the luxury of going and picking everything that she planted. Um, among mustard green and lettuces and radishes and right now tons of blossoms of thyme, chives, so wonderful salads for lunch every day here and dinner. I love salad at any time. Mm-hmm. But this morning I made myself a. Um, I had some quinoa cooked in the in the fridge and had a couple heads of mushroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't say it, Tom. <laughs> Why? What is he? What is he oh, going to say? He's making a face about quinoa. He doesn't like quinoa. <laughs> I'm shaking my head no, Chef. Yes. Okay, anyway, keep going. Sauteed mushroom in a little bit of olive oil. Add some, I had some salsa from San Juan Island salsa in the the, uh, refrigerator. So I cooked, after the mushroom was sauteed, I added a couple of spoons of that. And uh, some quinoa, toss the whole thing together, crack two eggs on top of that, and mix the whole thing together. Oh, my God. Scrumptious breakfast. Oh, my God. That's what I call it. And super healthy. Mm-hmm. So there we go. The only thing I was missing is green vegetables, like beet green or whatever, something that I would have tossed in there, but I didn't have any in my fridge. And I was too late and too lazy to go in the backyard and pick them up. But I have them, and that would have been a great addition. Well, here's my uh, taste of the week. It's also breakfast, and I also made it myself, and I did have a green vegetable. So uh, as we continue to... Uh, clear out the uh, the freezer right all the produce everything that we've put away from last season we're starting to clear it out and we're starting to see the back of the freezer for the first time in months and months and months uh and and that's even with me eating out of it literally i would say i eat out of my freezer three days a week because uh, jackie's been at the farmer a lot my mother-in-law has been in the hospital you know blah 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 all sorts of reasons but um, I took a ham steak. I was making everyone breakfast. I took a big ham steak from Hempler's right up in Bellingham, pan seared mm-hmm. it in butter, got a nice brown crust on this ham steak, and then braised it. I pulled out a pint of the tomato sauce, the Prosser Farm tomato sauce that we had to put away. I pulled down, uh, out a pint of uh, cut green beans that were in the freezer. And then I, after I seared my ham, I stewed the beans and the tomatoes and the ham together dropped a couple of eggs on top uh you know just uh, like um and threw it in the oven so that we got roasted eggs on top of green beans ham and no 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 Mm. no like a fried egg on top of that is except i just baked them on top yeah not broken no unbroken and so so delicious and of course uh the freezer is still full of jackie's sourdough project uh pandemic sourdough project it was bursting at the seams (laughs) So we had uh, toast with the, the tomato and green bean braised eggs and mm-hmm. seared ham. And God, I love breakfast. Conscious. You know, our producer, yeah. Pamela Hinckley, doesn't eat breakfast. And I find it disturbing. I think it's un-American. And I think that um, at some point we're going to 
try to get her to come around and be logical and get up in the morning and have a delicious breakfast. It's too oh. much. It's too much. It weighs you down when you need to just get jumping. Get jiggy with it. Tom, yeah. Tom, Tom which yes. one of us looks better between the three of us? I think Pam wins. Okay, never mind. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm giving up breakfast forever. Uh, how to enjoy some of the mangoes that are in the stores right now. They're all over big displays, and so we're going to talk about some mango ideas. When we come back here, it's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. It's time for mangoes in your kitchen and mine. There's big sales going on all over the city. And no, we're not getting paid to say so. We just happened to notice them in the grocery store. Uh, I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Chef, uh, I always, uh, when I see mangoes on sale, I take a box to my mother-in-law who was born in Costa Rica. Uh, she loves mangoes and she lets them sit on the counter until they are like wrinkled little prunes. Just super ripe and uh, she, she loves them that way. Do you have a favorite way to eat mangoes? I like them like that, just a little bit less. <laughs> just a little bit I like, less. I like when the, I like when the mango has a little um, texture to it. I don't like as much when it's completely overripe. Mm-hmm. You know, like almost like puree. I'm not like soup, I'm like not a, almost quite, like a persimmon, right? Right, right. So I'm I'm not quite that far into the mango. I like when there's a little texture to it. Okay. But I'm also not a big fan of green mangoes. That's not my, that's not what I'm looking for in a mango. But there's so, wait, wait, wait. When you say that, there's obviously there's the big green mangoes that we shred for like a Vietnamese style salad or yeah, that's different. That, yeah, right. So I just wanted to be clear when you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you, mean, you don't like unripe. I mean, you don't like mangoes that are unripe when they're supposed to be ripe. Right, because the texture of the unripe mango to me is too fibrous. Too, you know, it's missing the sugar. It's missing the. It's tons of fiber and no, no great texture. So I'm not a big fan of that. Right. But. Um, a good mango is delicious. And by the way, we're talking about mangoes. Uh, last week, we bought three mangoes, no, two mangoes and uh, pineapple at uh, Met Market again. And both of, both of those items are from Costa Rica, and they were scrumptious. We left the mango for three days in a bag with a banana mm-hmm. in a brown bag just to make sure. Then the, and I was checking them every day to make sure they don't go overripe. Uh, by the way, the banana got ripened before the uh, mangoes. <laughs> the banana, one well, the third day, I was like, oh, dang, the banana is getting brown. So, uh, But the mango was perfectly ripe when we peeled it. And uh, what I did is I did a little bit of rice vinegar and ginger grated into a pan, bring the uh, vinegar to a boil with the ginger just to steep it a little bit, and then um, wait till it cooled down um, to room temp, mm-hmm. and then throw a few julienne of mango. I took the mango, peeled it, cut it into two halves, and throw a little bit of that julienne um, mango into the uh, pickling juice. It was like a pickling juice kind of idea. Right. And then just for a few minutes, and then take them out, and uh, use the vinegar for a dressing mixed with a little Dijon mustard and a little bit of vegetable oil. So I made like a quick dressing with that. And the mango I used to put on top of a chicken that I had marinated in soy, ginger, and sesame oil, and then roasted in the oven quickly. And, uh, you know, in, in 20 minutes, you get, a beautiful, you get a beautiful breast of chicken that is totally cooked. And then make that into a salad with toasted almond and put that mango right on top of it, um, mixed with the salad and the chicken. And that was super delicious. Mm-hmm. This is, I like, I like when mango, um, again, tastes like a mango. And when you pickle them gently like this, it still keeps that, but adds a little bit. Because mango is very sweet when it's ripened. 
So the vinegar, the, the, the brine adds a little bit of acid to it, which mm-hmm. basically to me, it perks it up another layer. And I like that flavor. Yeah. I like taking them and I'll do the same thing. I'll, I'll you know, make sure they're ripe, peel them. And then I like a, like a mango barbecue sauce. I don't know if you've ever made a mm-hmm. mango barbecue sauce, but uh, they you just puree it. You just cook it in the rice vinegar. And basically, you kind of add whatever else you want to add, like a barbecue sauce, except there's no tomato, right? So, right, uh, right. And so it's, it becomes more like a – it's almost like a pureed chutney, the way it's spiced. And then you just uh, glaze uh-huh. your chicken or your or your piece of uh, salmon or whatever it is that you're grilling and just glaze it on. And oh. because it's got so much natural sugar in it, uh, it just caramelizes beautifully on top of whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little satay kebabs, like little chicken kebabs or shrimp kebabs are all delicious with a little mango barbecue sauce. Uh, a simple and, uh, and delicious way to uh, hang out with a mango. And also with that pineapple that we had, little diced pineapple and diced mango mixed together. Makes a wonderful little dessert fruit salad. You, I have beautiful anise ice up in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Go back onto the anise ice up uh, train because I'm <laughs> going to have anise ice up in every single dessert for until uh, October now. Uh, so julienne some anise ice up, put it with the pineapple and the mango diced uh, on the counter. Um, a little bit of honey, just a little bit. And uh, what else did I put in there? I put something. Oh, toasted almond. Again, using the nuts to be creating texture. Makes a wonderful little fruit salad at the end of a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I didn't mention is a tiny bit of rum. Beautiful <laughs> rum. Just a bit of rum put on those, on those two um, uh, fruit. Mm-hmm. And it macerates really nicely. It makes a wonderful fruit salad. If you've never you know, done it, have... there's so many ways to use mangoes. Uh, the, one of oh, the yeah. ones that my daughter loved when she was growing up, I used to make her mango lassies. Kind of the, the mm-hmm. Indian yogurt drink. Then you just take the mango and puree it in the, you know, the yogurt and the mango puree in a blender. I put in a little bit of garam masala just to give it a little bit of spice, mm-hmm. but just a little. This isn't an area yeah. where you want it to be overly spicy, but uh, and a little bit of lime juice to kind of balance out the sweetness of the mango. And then you just simply blend it like you would a milkshake, and you have this mango lassi, and she loved those. She was a big fan. My mother-in-law loves those too. So You know, it's also good with, um, I like to use mango, you said lime, mango and lime with uh, crudo or fish. You know, you take a nice like right now, we have nice halibut. Mm-hmm. You dice halibut really small, and you macerate it with the uh, mango for just a few minutes. It makes for a great little appetizer, salt, pepper. Very, very simple, maybe a little chili if you want, to create a little heat in there. Mm-hmm. And then some lots of fresh blossom. Right now, chive blossoms are everywhere. You take a bunch of chive blossom and mix that into the salad. So you have those bites of chives as you eat. Um, I think it makes a very nice, delicious Almost like a ceviche, but right. really delicious um, fish. So, and with the, with the lime juice, you know, it cooks your halibut at least enough to oh, yeah. be edible in f- less than fifteen minutes, right? It's, it's oh, yeah, just yeah, a yeah. simple, it fresh, quickly. so delicious. Yeah. Uh, and coconut milk, mango and coconut uh, mm, is a yes. magic combination. So, when you take uh, rice, that, say, let's say you went to Chinatown had, had dinner, you brought home some extra rice, or you went, you know, have extra rice from when you made it for yourselves. And then you simply take coconut milk and you make a little pastry cream and mix those two together and make rice pudding with maybe a little bit of uh, toasted black cardamom. Mm. And then you put yep. little pearls of a mango. And uh, some people have a melon baller, and you know, there's two definitely. Two sides to the melon baller. Usually, there's the big, maybe one inch uh, or so size ball that you can get. But there's also melon ballers that are super small, and you can get right. little round mango pearls out of a good 
not overripe mango because it'll crush it. But if it's still got a little firmness to it, just take these this little scoop and make little mango pearls for <gasps> so your pretty. coconut mango cardamom rice we, pudding. We, mm. we call that golden caviar. Golden caviar. <laughs> <laughs> but you could, hey, you know what? One, one of my favorite is tapioca with mango. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like the same idea, tapioca pudding with mango. A uh, couple nuts in there, maybe toasted walnuts or, or really nicely dark toasted walnut. Put in there with the mango and uh, tapioca. Mm. Man, that is good. Well, here's I'm- what I'll say about this, since I like to summarize at the end of a segment. If you yeah. don't go out and buy a mango right now, a perfectly <laughs> ripe, delicious mango, you are dead to me. Because if you can listen to those kind of recipes those were and incredible. Not head to the store and get a mango, you're a better person than me. Or a worse person than me, I'll say. To, uh, to, for me to summarize, strawberries are coming out in season right now. Local strawberry. Local strawberry macerated with mango. Mm, good top, combo, yeah. Top, top. Great combination. Yeah, good combo. And a little bit of mint. And you great know, color, too. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little mint, a little mint, and some lime. Oh my God! Wow, we're just getting started, and I feel like I need to make a trip to the grocery store and get going. Uh, up next, Kelly Burling is here, COO of Culinary Collective, uh, tells us about how they select their Spanish producers. Right here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas, and I am the uh, the owner of uh, several joints here in Seattle. We're happy that you've joined us. Hopefully, you're in your garden or in your car or in your kitchen uh, listening along with us or listening on a podcast of, of sorts. Chef Terry, how are you today? I am beautiful, and I also hope you might be jogging, getting ready for your next meal. <laughs> Always eating. <laughs> I've never jogged to get rid of ready for my next meal before. It's like, I'll well, say you know, that you make room for the next makes room for the next meal. Yeah, I seem to always have room. Sadly, uh, Kelly Burling <laughs> is going to join us. She is uh, or is is here. I heard her heard her on the line. She's the COO of the Culinary Collective, an import group up there in up uh, off of Mukilteo. Is that right, Kelly? Yeah, in Mukilteo um, Speedway up in Linwood, so right on the Mukilteo Linwood borders, where our warehouse and offices are. And you are responsible for bringing in so much of this uh, awesome Spanish product that we've been using here at the hot stove and featuring in paellas with uh, Chef Bridget Charters and all sorts of things. Yes, we are so excited that we've been uh, able to partner with you and hot stove for such a long time, mm-hmm. actually, uh, far in advance of my time at the company. And um, just really love our food and our Spanish food in particular and love that we get chefs who are so thoughtful about creative um, uses of really high quality and responsibly sourced products that help us introduce it to the U.S. Like, honestly, without chefs pushing some of this food um, through their restaurants and through new recipe development, the U.S. consumers wouldn't get exposed to it or get excited about it either. So really great for for us that um, you guys are at the forefront and uh, championing the, the use of these great products in your kitchens because it makes people want to use them in their own kitchen there you go absolutely so we're going to stay i know you do all sorts of products but we're going to stay in this area of spain and talk about some of the things that you bring in and maybe how to use them Uh, let's start with a a product that i think people are unaware of or at least unsure of or really don't have a clue what it is Uh, netto stocks the netto products are 
my favorite product. And it's actually one of the, the reasons why I got excited to join the company um, was when I discovered the Annetto product. So Annetto is a family-owned company um, out of Spain. Annetto is actually the name of a, a mountain in Spain. Um, not anything to do with, with uh, soup or chicken broth or anything, but that's where the, the name of the company comes from. Uh, they have been making um, natural, 100% natural products uh, in Spain since the 90s. We started bringing it into the U.S. in the early to mid-2000s. And it is what I like to call radically pure. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely the best, cleanest product you can get in the broth um, and soup category. They also make bases for paellas that are made just as purely and as um, cleanly with amazing 100% natural ingredients sourced locally to them. What really makes the Annetto product different is their uh, production method and then packaging directly ready for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So. It, they make they make broth the way that you would make it at home. And I, I, what I find interesting is that, and why I say people shy away from them a bit, is that they're double the price of anything else on the on the shelf. And you think to yourself, could it possibly be worth it? And you you see the squid ink annetto broth with freaks people out, and you see the paella broth, and you see all these interesting things, and then you put the price on top, and I'm afraid that it sometimes scares people that they're not willing to try it. And I, what I'm saying is. Buy it. Try it. You will never go back to a regular stock again. That's absolutely what we're seeing with consumers. Literally, we can't keep it on the shelves enough. Like, once it's on the shelf, rotation just grows. And we don't have to do that much. We don't have a huge marketing budget or advertising budget. And yet, the the rotation just keeps increasing. People keep buying it. And the reason is because it is made with whole chickens, whole fresh vegetables, salt and water, and they cook it for hours in a giant pot that looks just like, you know, a, a supersized version of the pot you would use at home. Mm-hmm. And then they they package it directly into the packaging and process it so it's ready um, for consumers. Almost all of their broth are reconstituted from a concentrate because that's easier for long-term storage and shipping. Or it's made from a, a powder um, that's been reconstituted into a liquid. And then it was literally made in a pot and then packaged for you. And it's made with chicken that has bone and fish that has bone in for the fish broth. It literally is the whole chicken, not just, you know, chicken legs. We're seeing in bone broth and everything now to get all that awesome, really good for you gelatin out of it. But they, at Annetto, use the whole chicken. So you've got the meat and the bone that creates all that amazing flavor. Mm-hmm. And that's what really makes the difference. And then those paella bases, that squid ink paella base or Valencian or seafood paella base, they use whole um, ingredients in that as well, uh, the squid ink. And then they, they cook that, they use this sofrito that's cooked for hours uh, to get that rich, deep flavor of the onions and the garlic and tomato. And that's the base. And then on top of that, they simmer all of the broth ingredients for hours. Um, and put it in the packaging. So if you look at what you would actually be paying if you want to buy a whole chicken, an onion, some carrots, some celery, um, and use some good sea salt and cook all that at home for hours, the broth is actually packaged and sold the way it is by a a lot cheaper than you would be mm-hmm. um, 
spending if you were making it at home and a lot faster. And a lot faster, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pamela, you've been running some of these paella classes. Uh, what's impressed you most about some of the products that the, the uh, culinary collector is bringing in? Well, I love the way their beautiful rice cooks up holds some texture but is still adds a, a creaminess and then when Bridget's able to get that crunch on the bottom of the pan. Oh, she calls it, what does she call that crunch? Oh, there's a real word for it, huh? It's a socara. The socara. Thank you, yeah. Sean. Yes. He's been to enough of the classes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also crazy for their uh, paprikas. Mm-hmm. The dolce and the what? what's the spicy one, Kelly? Picante. Picante. Um, Picante, yeah. yeah. I think those are spectacular, and it, they have helped me save many a dish. <laughs> I think of those also kind of being the <laughs> the entry into uh, Spanish foods. Like when this came out, when we started getting this smoked paprika, what, 20, 25 years ago now, it kind of um, was the first time I had really focused on Spain as an area of food, and then it just kind of expanded from there, right? So, yeah. So I think, was I that think one Smith- Pera was selling it out of the back of his car, Tom? Yes, exactly. You bet. <laughs> Para was yeah, a, a, a friend of Terry's and mine and uh, uh, came in and worked in the kitchens founder. a little bit and the founder of the company mm-hmm. and, and has since sold and moved to Colorado. Terry, you got something for me. Yeah, I was going to say um, saffron also, Spanish oh, saffron right. is also mm-hmm. something that is uh, a product, I think, that is not as known to most consumers, but that is a very beautiful product. Between the smoked peppers and the uh, and the uh, saffron, those are very big highlight of the at least the Basque country and northern Spain. We're talking to Kelly Burling, COO of the Culinary Collective out of uh, the Mucteo area. Kelly, what should we be looking for? What are some interesting new products coming from Spain that we should be uh, uh, on the lookout for in our marketplace? So we are uh, really excited. We continue to be excited about seafood. I just think this is becoming known right now in the U.S., the quality and approach to thin seafood in Europe and in Spain, um, especially as something that's a really special ingredient or a special item to eat directly from the can. So in the U.S., we tend to think of, you know, tuna from the can, and you have to make a tuna salad and add all this stuff to, to conserve us, which are the, the traditional canned um, items, tinned items from Spain, and Europe are meant to be eaten straight from the can. It's of that high of a quality. We are uh, really excited about introducing mackerel to our line of tinned fish, another small, sustainable uh, fish like sardines, but a little bit bigger, milder flavor. We've got a boneless, skinless filet in organic extra virgin olive oil that is just um, absolutely fantastic. And we really feel strongly about sustainability and, and finding species that are re- responsible um, for us to eat as consumers and working with packers who really support their local industries and communities. And so we're continuing to work with um, Canorsa, the company that we've worked with for a long time there on this new item. I'm super excited about it. And then later, um, we just launched that one last year. Later, uh, this year, coming at the beginning of 2022, we're going to be launching another cod in a tin. So it's a really unctuous, if I'm allowed to, to say that, um, piece of tin in olive oil, just absolutely beautifully flavored. Again, you can eat it straight from the can, toss it with some pasta, put it on top of some arugula, a, a squeeze of lemon, and um, you've got a gourmet I, meal. 
I think uh, we'll be able to show all that, Kelly, in the videos that we we just made with Chrissy. Um, oh, fantastic! Yeah, she uh, she and Bridget and Sean have produced some real short and concise videos on the tin fish uses and have some great salad ideas. And, and you're right, there's no reason to be shy about eating these right from the can because they're ready to go and spectacular. So Absolutely. Yeah, and for Seattle summers, I mean, everybody's getting out now. This is the time when you guys get out and can enjoy the great weather. It's the best gourmet meal that can fit in your pocket or you go hiking. <laughs> I mean, what's easier? All right, Kelly, we have to wrap this up and head off into our, our hot stove society existence uh, beyond the culinary collective. <laughs> oh, sad. <laughs> thank you for joining oh, us. Joining yeah, yes, thank you for joining us welcome. and uh, for helping to support our Spanish classes here at the hot stove. And uh, look for their products under the Matisse label, under the Aneto stocks. Uh, all sorts of uh, different brands uh, on your marketplace shelf. Up next, it's High on the Hog uh, and how it's provoking conversation throughout our country. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's time for High on the Hog in the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Radio Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Pamela, last week we got into a spirited discussion about this new uh, series on Netflix that you uh, asked us to take a peek at. Tell us about the series. Tell us about uh, maybe episode number two. I haven't got there yet, so you're going to have to give me a primer. I've got number one down. I get the gist. But tell us about this show, High on the Hog. It is a beautiful chronicle of how the African slaves helped form our cuisine in America and it tells a story of why we, all the influences historically, and, and why we need to pay attention to them, because it's through food that many African Americans feel their place and their power. Uh-huh. So the story um, told by Satterwhite is, is emotionally and beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry, you watched the one about rice yesterday, or this right. morning. Yeah, this uh, morning, yes. Do you tell, yeah, me, tell me how you reacted, and then I have a beautiful quote from Michael Twitty I'd like to share with people about it. Well, you know, there's something we don't often think about, but, you know, when the, when the slave started in, uh, like, North Carolina, Charleston, mainly Charleston as the uh, first capital of landing for uh, African-American, or for African at the time, um, you know, they, the first thing they did was not pick cotton. They were not growing cotton. The first thing they did is rice. So the first thing the slave did was actually clear the land, work hard on the land, which is something, by the way, all this I'm not, I just saw all this this morning in that show, uh, episode number two. Um, you know, it was, it, they cleared the land and they planted rice. And that's the first crop that was actually grown even before cotton. And uh, so the, uh, the the slave were very much, you know, rice was a giant part. It, it was like the bread of, you know, for French, I guess. It was rice was part of their uh, everyday meal, you know. And, and uh, they go through the motion of showing different recipes, different style and everything. But there's a one time Michael Tweedy um, sitting uh, uh, outside at a fire pit with a cast iron deep pot and... Um, He's cooking, 
this stew that starts with onion, tomato. Um, actually, first it starts with lard, then onion, tomato, and then um, crab, crab meat, and then rice, and then a beautiful broth right on top of that. And he cooks it right on the on the fire with the host uh, Stephen, and uh, this is just between that and later in the, in the same episode they're cooking a whole hog, you know that is fanned on uh, chicken wire, and they're cooking it on ashes. So they're staying up all night, burning the woods and taking the ashes from down below, putting them under the hog, and covering the the hog with a uh, like a piece of metal so the heat stays in. And that hog comes out the next day, and the whole thing. That looked comes. incredible. Oh, <laughs> pulling, pulling that meat off the, off the pig. Oh my God, Almighty, that looks so delicious. Um, but anyway, um, I think between the history of the actual culture and the, the food, it is definitely a series I would recommend for anyone to watch, if at the grand least, learn about American history. Um, and and you know black history, you know, because it's something that we all need to do and all need to catch up on, and um, you know, just just I just think it's very educational, and it's actually almost like teary eyes when you know there's there is some parts in that in that scene where you can see the pain, and it's really yes. hard to uh, to absorb. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult, but it's you just can't believe the suffering some people have gone through. Um, you know, just to be here today. So done on anybody who dare to forget. The honor that's all, and... That's and, all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> the honor and respect uh, yes. that is generated by watching the show is profound. And um, yeah. you probably... Michael Twitty, we talked about him last month because he's got a great new book about rice um, that yeah. we all need to add to our bookshelves. But I've been looking for a way to be articulate about this show and... I found tremendous inspiration from a Bon Appetit writer, Shala Shintundo. Um, mm-hmm. These are her words. We are the only people who named our cuisine after something invisible that you could feel, like love and God, culinary historian Michael Twitty says, of soul food in the second episode. Something completely mm-hmm. transcendental. It's about a connection between us and our dead and us and those who are waiting to be born. Twitty's words open a necessary window into the mindset of our African-American predecessors who poured every ounce of themselves into their cooking. By imbuing their food with their soul, our ancestors created a way to feel the comfort and safety of home, no matter where they ended up or how horribly they were treated. Despite the fact that we were in hell, Twitty says... That we were being worked to death, we created a cuisine. Boom. <laughs> well, what an interesting yeah. theory that you created cuisine through your through your mind and your thought and your yes. soul, rather than intentionally say through rice. God, this rice is so good, I'm going to make a delicious dish out of it. And right. the idea that you can appreciate someone's soul in that rice is is kind of an interesting theory. And the rice was also a vessel for many of these dishes that were created with the second part of the pig, you know, because the owner would definitely take the biggest, you know, they would take the loin <laughs> right. and the slave would, the slave would get the sweetbreads and the kidneys and all the second part of the um, animal. And therefore, you know, the rice was a great vessel to make all those different stews and combinations of uh, product of dishes, you know, and 
another part also in the in the movie that I thought was really really uh, cool was the uh, there was a lady that was cooking when they were doing the pig and they said you know they bring the children out to see how it's done how it's put together how it's put on the fire and the reason they do this is so the tradition doesn't get lost mm-hmm. extremely important to pass this around and pass this along so I thought that was very um, very well said and very well done as well yeah we talk about that here at the hot stove all the time don't let the recipe die with you right mm-hmm. pass it on yeah. whether it's That's yours right. or whether you've adapted it or whether you have family or no family teach it to a neighbor teach it to a senior citizen right. teach it to whoever so uh important stuff well i look forward to catching up on high on the hog it's based on the book by jessica b harris and uh i've only got one episode in i think there's four is that right four. So You're gonna love correct. it. We're going to try and stay on this for the next two weeks uh, and do an episode a week and talk about some of the brilliant uh, emotion, I would say, coming out of that show. Next uh, week, the baker, because she's the cutest thing I've seen on TV <laughs> this season. All right. <laughs> you know, I was on TV on the evening, on the evening TV oh, show. Oh, she's second cutest oh, then. Okay. Oh, we, we, we didn't see that. Tom. We got another whole hour for you here at the Hot Stove Society <laughs> Kitchen Show with jam-packed ideas. The Shark Garden in Burien. Uh, Trivia is back, and uh, we're excited to uh, share that with one of our Facebook watchers. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, let's get cooking here at the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Chef in the Chapeau, you got a big grin on your face this morning. What's going on? I'm a very happy Friday today. How's that? It's, nice. uh, it's Friday. I'm very happy. It's almost sunny in Madison Valley, and, you know, all is good, Tom. All is good. We've got another whole hour of our show to go. I'm Tom Douglas. Uh, we're going to talk to Karen, Taryn Corker of uh, Garden Guru. Explains the purpose and origins of her project, the new start shark garden over there in Burien. Terry discovered this uh, on one of your travels or paths and, and fell in love with it, huh, Chef? Yes, actually, my uh, manager at Luc uh, Tram and the chef de cuisine, Mike, uh, both of them actually t- went, uh, Tram went there and, and her and Mike rented a plot for 25 bucks a year. Cool. Which is so- really, really fun. Yeah, I'm going to hear more about that. Uh, appetizing ideas for clams and mussels uh, using some of our spring vegetables and herbs. And then, uh, of course, the show wraps up uh, with Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love. Um, and, you know, uh, Pamela, I'm not sure how much longer Rub with Love can bring this to you since uh, we've been shorted again on our jars. Chef, I don't know if you know this story or not, but Rub with Love is one of the shining stars in our portfolio over the last year because yes. people have been buying it at grocery stores like crazy. But now we can't get our containers. There's no jars for months Literally, and months. Literally, we've been uh, backordered now for 150 days, and they just told us three more months. So we won't have containers. We're going to be out of rub. So if you, if you see Uh-oh. rub in your grocery store and Stock you love it, buy it, buy what's left because we have load nothing up, else to sell. Now. Yeah, it's kind of crazy right now. Uh, okay, let's jump right into clams and mussels. And Chef uh, Pamela wants us to talk mostly about using some sort of uh, spring agenda here. Pam, is that uh, your goal? That's the goal. Make it real light and fast and delicious with spring herbs. All right, I'm going to let you go okay. first, Terry. Well, um, one thing that I'm going to go first is my time. Right now I've got, I have a lot of time in my backyard. You should. You use it in every damn it. thing you cook. <laughs> he does oh, love yeah, it. For a, good, for a good reason, too. 
everybody should buy time. Mm-hmm. Bam, bam, bam. Anyway, it's all in blossom right now, and, and those blossoms are delicious. They're very, they're more delicate than the actual flower. They're not quite as robust, but they're definitely a great flavor to add to any dish. Um, I would take pank of mussels, clean them up, um, you know, rinse them off, and then ready to go. Make sure they're not open. If, if they're open, touch them with a little blade, see if they're still alive. If they're not alive, discard them. Uh, you don't want to deal with shellfish that's already open and not alive. Um, so anyway, you get your mussel ready. I would take a deep pot. Always use a large pot because the mussels are going to open up. They're going to need more room in the pot. And also, you don't want to pack them in a small pot and not have any room for them to expand. So Yeah, because um, if you do that, then the ones on the bottom all open, but the ones at the top, you can't get the heat to them. And correct. so you have miscooked mussels. Whereas if you give them room to breathe in there, uh, they cook correct. more evenly. Right, so take a, a, a stew pot, a, you know, like a cast iron. I would not pub- probably do a cast iron. I would do stainless steel inside. Take your pot, put it on the fire, nugget of butter, and I would use um, Walla Walla onions, which are just coming up, or young um, garlic shoots that they have in the market right now on the, flower, on the farmer's market. Slice those, put them in the butter, let them sweat really nicely. Add all um, white wine. Sorry, I was trying to think about how I'm going to do this. White wine. Put that on top. Reduce it down a little bit, meaning bring it to a boil and reduce it down in volume. Add all your mussels in there. Cover. Put a cover on it. Let it sit for about a minute or two. Then toss it around. Cover again. Let it toss. And as soon as the mussels are popping out, just give it about one more minute and that's it. You don't want to overcook the mussel if you can help it. You want to remove those mussels out of that pan. Put them in a bowl. And put a cover on that. It will finish to stay warm and cook on the counter. And then take that juice and reduce it down. Add a nice dollop of either creme fraiche or, if you don't have any creme fraiche, heavy whipping cream with a squeeze of lemon. And then bring that down to reduce it down. And then put that all over your mussels with a bunch of fresh thyme blossom. Then you have put in the sauce at the last minute. Put all that on top of your mussels. And uh, if you can... Take some preserved lemon, Moroccan preserved lemon. Usually you can find them in the market easily. Chop it really fine and sprinkle that all over your mussel. Now you're going to have a beautiful, fresh, bright mussel dish in your hand, a big bowl for lunch. Boy, now if I was making that very same thing but with clams, I would do what you talked about, although I would start with bacon, chopped bacon in the bottom of the pan. I love a little smoky pork with my clams. And then um, onto the bacon, I would put the butter... And I would put the white wine. And for me, uh, I would probably drain off half of the bacon fat, but not all of it. Um, right. Uh, before I put the butter in the white wine. And then I, I would just simply um, put the clams in. They take about twice as long as mussels to cook. Uh, and yep. uh, finish up. I, I would make a pesto out of the... In my garden, I have garlic chives, fennel fronds, dill... I've got uh, tarragon, I've got parsley, lovage. I would just take every soft herb that I have and make a green herb pesto. And uh, so now I literally put the dollops in, stir it up so that it gets on every clam and get them out of the bowl and into into a service pot or serve it in the the pan itself. I I love the way it looks right in the steamer pot. Uh, And then at the end of the day, squeeze that fresh lemon. I'm not a preserved lemon guy, so I would squeeze fresh lemon over the top and be done and have a big pile of of, uh, manila clams from up on Whidbey. They're they're from all over the sound, but that's what I would be doing. I like clams more than mussels personally. 
Well, um, either when or but uh, when you do the muscles, like I was saying, you can also, if you have too many muscles, then you can't eat the whole thing. It's a great idea to take those muscles left over, pluck them out of the shell, and then make a nice little stew salad for the next meal, mm -hmm. where you can take those muscles and mix them with, for example, chopped olives. Uh, you could even add more, uh, more stuff to the can. You could do a, a canned tuna. So you have mussel tuna and olives, maybe some lemon olive oil dressing. Mix the whole thing together and put that on top of a salad. That's delicious as well. So sounds delicious. Uh, yeah. I, I would, um, I don't, yeah, I would, I would, I would eat that. Why not? Up next, uh, <laughs> Taryn uh, Corker is here from the uh, New Start Shark Garden. That's a hard one for me to say for some reason. And we're going to talk about what's in her garden and then uh, where, how it came about. And then maybe we're going to uh, do a second segment, Pam, where we talk about um, using some of the products in some recipes. Okay. And, and, and make sure we cover the program and what they're accomplishing with at-risk teens at Perfect. New Start. Perfect. Yeah. That's coming up on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. Let's go fishing. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Taryn Corker is here uh, from the garden. She's the garden guru. She's explaining the purpose, origins, and projects at the New Start Shark Garden. And it's got nothing to do with the baby shark craze. I'll just tell you that right now. Welcome, Taryn. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell us about uh, what you're doing down there. And, and then, Chef Terry, I'd like you to jump in and tell us why you were so uh, impressed with what, uh, what's happening in, in Burien. I must, say, I must say I was introduced to the Shark Garden by Tram, my manager at Luke, and Mike, the chef de cuisine. Uh, they both rented the plot over there that uh, I guess to Taryn. And uh, they, they say, oh, you got to come and see the garden. And I went to see it, and I was in awe. I mean, this is – and I had the pleasure of meeting Taryn, and, you know, she toured us the, through the garden. What an incredible project. What a fabulous, fabulous momentum you've got going there. And my, my biggest impression was the community involvement in the, the garden. So please, Taryn, explain what your project idea was in, behind this shark garden. Yeah, well, a shark garden uh, that we have there originally started out as a little school garden. We're on the campus of New Start High School, which is a magnet school in the Highland School District. Uh, it's where high school students come if they're having a hard time fitting in in other schools. They get more one-on-one -on -one attention. And there was an empty playing field there that wasn't getting used because they didn't have any sports fields. Uh, sports teams, rather. And so we started a little school garden program in the summer to give these kids something healthy to do. And from there, it expanded uh, sort of partway down the field, and we eventually turned it to a nonprofit and added pea patch uh, for the community and a botanical garden that sort of wraps around it. And at this point, we've got 75 rental plots and a summer program for at-risk youth and also a big botanical collection that uh, we're sharing with the food bank. And volunteers right now are running the the school part of the garden for the White Center Food Bank. And last year, we donated over 2,300 pounds of organic produce to them. So we're sort of on our way to being, you know, fully built out as a garden. And so now we're shifting our attention to inviting people in to check it out and see what we're doing. And, and how can people um, um, help support that? 
Yeah, right now we're looking for volunteers uh, in particular. Uh, we've got, like I said, we're doing harvest volunteers for the White Center Food Bank. We've got about a third of an acre that we're harvesting for the uh, school garden area, and we do that Monday and Wednesday mornings. Uh, we have volunteers come in, you know, tend those beds and wash it up. We've got a little sink area, and we package it up for the food bank. And the White Center Food Bank has just this year had a 52% increase in their need over last year, and last year was up 45% because of COVID. So there's still a huge demand in the community for you know fresh organic produce, and we're really happy that we can contribute it in that way in addition to having the affordable plots for families to grow their own food in the garden. So uh, we're pretty proud of what we got together so far. Hey, Taran, can you explain also your uh, philosophy behind what the garden was representing for the community? Because you told me you went around and definitely researched who was living around the area yeah. so the garden could be accessible to all for planting. Yeah, absolutely. The area we're in is sort of a neighborhood, not very high income, and Burien itself has got quite a few uh, different ethnic groups. So when we did our original sort of demographic research, we found that the biggest ethnic groups were Latino families and Vietnamese families, actually. So as we developed the garden, we sort of uh, you know took that into consideration so that we'd have culturally appropriate uh, crops that they might recognize, and we work with the food bank to do culturally responsive sort of annual, annual crops every year as well. So this year, we're growing a lot of Asian vegetables, for example. And last year, we uh, partnered with a nursery called Wanderlust Nursery in West Seattle, and they installed a big Latin American food garden so that we're, you know, we're putting in plants that are familiar to the community and, uh, still sort of having this theme of education and food throughout the garden. Um, for the Asian community, we added things like persimmons and jujubes, Asian pears. And uh, we're trying to just keep that in mind every time we expand a project, um, that we're sort of matching what our community has. And our rental plots are about 75% people of color as well. 100% of the students in our summer program are people of color. And we want to reflect our community and be, you know, appropriate for, for them, um, so that they feel comfortable coming in and joining us and sort of participating in what we're trying to do for the, for the neighborhood. What about the teens? Was there school this year, and uh, how are you keeping them engaged? The new start students. Yeah, for the last year, we didn't get to see much of the students because of COVID, um, but we just got approval to have our summer program um, this year. And what we'll do is we'll have eight summer student kids and um, they're going to come out and work in the garden and they actually get paid uh, minimum wage by King County, which is over $15 now. And they get math and science credit in the morning and they come out and do uh, projects in the garden for a few weeks in the summer. And then in the fall, we'll be back full time and the kids uh, at the school um, will be you know coming out throughout the year with their math and science uh, classes and we sort of use the garden as an outdoor classroom for the whole district really so any you know any student programs uh, in the area can come use it as well and we found that in the summer program um, whereas the you know entry level sort of attendance for this school for these kids that are having some problems is about 31 percent in our summer school we've got it up to 92 percent so that has huge impact on these kids confidence and um 
you know, their access to this knowledge about how to grow food, how to be healthy. And uh, we're really proud of those results. And uh, we're seeing that after the program, when they go back to school in the fall, too, their attendance is still better. They have more social skills. They've got, you know, this sort of pattern of um, working with others on projects. And it's been it's really cool to see how this kids' lives change. We've had a number of them come back a couple years later. Uh, bringing their parents and showing them the tree that they planted in the garden. Things uh, like that. Awesome. <laughs> oh, so awesome. cool. Yeah. So cool. Cherry was special. Yeah. Really neat. Yeah, I was, I was going to say the, the quick, uh, you were telling me the story of like how incredible they are when they first get in touch with the dirt and the planting and all that and how they go, oh, that's how it grows. What is that? You know, and, yeah, exactly. I mean, all those beautiful yeah. um, revelation to them. It's just, it's really, really cool to, introduce young young kids to you know what mother earth can produce and how simple it can get in our next segment segment taryn maybe you could come back and tell us a few of those uh, rags to riches story when it comes to somebody who's never gardened before never seen a farm animal i know we we see that out in prosser all the time um but uh, maybe we could put some of those stories together in the meantime in case uh, folks are just listening to this one segment is there a uh, a website or a place they can go to uh, sign up to volunteer or send a donation? Yeah, we've got a website. It's uh, shortgarden.org, and there's links in there. You can send in a little uh, form to sign up to volunteer, and we do a little volunteer orientation with you on the first day, a little tour. And then uh, volunteering's real flexible. You could do it at your own pace, at your own schedule, or you could come to one of our more organized events. And there's also information there on donating, so... Perfect. Uh, All right. ways to get involved. When we come back, let's talk about some of the product in the fields. Let's talk about some of the mm-hmm. stories from the students that have uh, been success stories. And uh, okay. and maybe Terry and I, would. Uh, I'd like to hear about some of the more interesting vegetables that I've never heard of, probably, that are being grown in this garden. And then maybe figure out how to cool. cook with them. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. We're in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio. It's Chef in the Chapeau, Terry Retro, and myself, Tom Douglas, coming to you uh, from downtown Seattle. As a matter of fact, the Hot Stove Society kitchen. We're going to continue with our guest, Taryn Corker. She's the garden guru. She's explaining the purpose, origins, and projects at the New Start Shark Garden. And, uh, Taryn, we didn't really get to in the first segment uh, how the garden got its name, and then maybe mm-hmm. some uh, success stories that you've seen that kind of warm the cockles of your heart uh, from the kids oh, that yeah. you've tutored over the years. Yeah, well, we got the name um, because of the school mascot, the shark for the New Start uh, High School there. Uh, our, our longer name has turned into the New Start Community Garden, but we still like the, uh, to make a nod to the students, and uh, we're you know excited to be serving some of the kids who need it most uh, in the community. And... We started the garden back in 2015, and since then we've seen kids, you know, like I said, come back and visit the garden and see the projects they did. One of the early on projects was a rain garden that they installed. Uh, we've got all these sort of specialty gardens and projects uh, that they've done all around the all around the edges of the garden, and uh, we've seen a number of the kids bring back their parents over the summer to see the projects they did. And we've had some wonderful stories about kids sort of getting to know food in the first place uh, while they're out there in their summer program. They, uh, one boy, I saw a cucumber growing, and he 
said, well, that looks kind of like a pickle. And the instructor <laughs> said, well, yeah, that's where, that's where pickles come from. And he was really blown away and sort of mad for the rest of the day that nobody ever told him that pickles came from cucumbers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, moments later, our, our board president, John, was out there in the field with the kids, and he took him over to the herb garden and picked a mint leaf for him to smell. He smelled it. His eyes lit up. He said, oh, it smells like chewing gum. Mm -hmm. And his whole relationship yeah. with the security was gum, basically. You know, canned foods, preserved foods. You know, it wasn't the, the fresh, original product. And, you know, seeing a kid pull a carrot out of the ground for the first time and realizing that that's where they come from or an I apple mean, on a tree, least, you know? Karen, yeah, exactly. At least, he didn't say, at least he didn't say mint julep. Right? Yeah. Didn't say mojito or something, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's been really neat to, to see the kids sort of take that knowledge, too. And then we recently had curriculum developed um, with the help of a grant from King Conservation District um, that includes teaching the kids not only how to um, grow food, but also uh, it includes curriculum about how to pass the food handling, you know, the safety exam to be uh, restaurant workers. We just had kids... Five kids last week passed that exam um, so they could go into the restaurant field, which is cool. Talking about food yeah. safety, and it also includes information about food justice and food deserts and, you know, recipes and how food ties into your own personal culture, which mm -hmm. we think is really interesting. It's such a diverse uh, student group. Uh, we've got so many cultures represented, and we're having each of them find a recipe from their family history and then go out into the garden and find the ingredients and then follow through and cook it, or at least document some of their family history in, in terms of food and culture. And we think that's a really special way to get kids interested in eating healthy and growing their own ingredients and sort of tying back into their own identity in the sort of modern you know, setting like this. So we're pretty excited to see how all that plays out this summer. You know, we've been enamored with the TV show on Netflix called High on the Hog and talking about food yeah. identity and how sometimes the identity is really sure. spiritual, not even necessarily exactly. physical, yeah. right? And so um, mm -hmm. we talk about food deserts, and I think we're talking exactly that when it comes to food banking and, and this and that, because you can't afford the organic produce, right? You can't, you get, you get what you get. And so what a treat a it is to have this luxury of free organic produce for the food bank. It's been really cool. And, um, the food bank itself is mostly gets staples from the government, mm -hmm. um, and sort of leftovers from grocery stores. And well, that's all very helpful with such an increased, you know, need in our community right now to have the access. I mean, it's more than 20,000 families that, now have access to organic foods because of this little tiny community garden. And uh, that kind of impact is really, <laughs> uh, really neat for our volunteers to be aware of and for the community to, to know that we care and for these kids to be around what we call caring adults. Um, you know, just demonstrating and showing up uh, as community members that care and are trying to do something. Um, it's sort of what we're about. We're you know, all about education and just helping out. Karen, you know, yeah. and, and, and Karen, yeah. you also mm -hmm. could tell us about how many fruit trees do you actually have? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a super plant nerd, of course. And part of my goal with the garden, too, is to have all different types of people interested, including plant nerds. So we're building these really interesting botanical collections all around the garden, including an emphasis on edible landscaping. So we've got 
like 55 different types of fruit trees. We now have over 90 wow. types of berries. I think we've got 59 types of herbs now. We, we just put in a new herb garden last year as well. And we've got a big pollinator garden. We've got edible flower garden. We've got hummingbird garden. We've got a fig forest. And all these sort of special things to invite all kinds of people in to join us. And we feel that that's the strategy to make us more sustainable going forward if we you know, have something for everyone and it's just a peaceful green space for a community that doesn't have a lot of green space. Uh, that'll help build uh, sustainability for us going forward. Okay, well, I'm going to challenge awesome. you, Taryn, to uh, give Chef Terry and myself an ingredient that um, maybe you're not sure what to do with it when you get it to the kitchen. You have a mm-hmm. you have an ingredient that stumps you at all in the kitchen? Uh, this year we've, we're growing burdock root for the first time. Oh, um, oh, they, oh that's a good one. Yeah, check that out. <laughs> How deep did you have to dig your soil to get the, to get ready for that? What? Yeah, I showed the chef. We built a circle, yeah. a special bed for it that's four feet deep. Four feet. And uh, in that bed, we're growing special Japanese carrots that get uh, three feet long, the burdock root, <laughs> and some giant daikons that get extra big, too. Right. So we purpose-built this and, and- crazy deep bed so that we could try some of these things out. But I don't have a lot of experience myself growing burdock. And, uh, okay, chef, I'm going to challenge you. Burdock root, what, what would you do with it? Oh, I use, I use burdock root root the same way I use salicy feed. So you gotta uh, peel yeah. them. You gotta peel them. They oxidize fast. You gotta peel them and you gotta you treat them the same way. So you can either blanch them in a in a lemony or acidic water so it stays white. Or if you don't care, don't put the lemon. But um it's just, you know, think about oxidation. And then I would do um, I could cook them in a nice little reduced cream with all those sledge sage blossom you have right now in your garden. Pick all oh, the yeah. sage blossom, put that in a little bit of vegetable stock and cream, reduce that down gently, and then put all your burdock that have been blanched, um, t- slice it like a carrot, and put all that into uh-huh. into that uh, cream, and you'll have a wonderful little uh, creamy uh, texture, almost like a salsify. Think salsify or oyster plant. Is I think, I, I believe that the, uh, the um, burdock is called oyster plant. But um, anyway, you can dice that. And then uh, cook it that way, gently, and then serve it as a garnish next to a roast, like a, a pork roast or, you know, anything like this. Think of that nature. You could even grate some cheese right on top of that and finish it in the oven just like that on, in a dish. I would, uh, my favorite place to have burdock root is in uh, a sushi bar. I love it in the futamaki rolls because it adds such a nice crunch. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's been... When it's been pickled, it's also been colored. Uh, it's bright orange, typically. Yeah, it's like bright yellow, orange, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, just like uh, the right just color. like the giant uh, daikon roots, or when they're pickled, they always put yellow dye in them. The yeah. tak- I think it's called taku or something like that. The, when they pickle yeah. the radish, but um, yeah, just a, when you add a few different pickles, the salted plums, the burdock root, the taku, or the uh, the pickled uh, daikon radish, and make your little tekamaki out of it, uh, and then you have a vegetarian uh, sushi roll. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Darren, super fun, super fun yeah. talking to you today. Uh, it's lots of ideas in my head. I hope we've spurred some gardeners uh, to get down there and volunteer and help uh, harvest for the food bank and and um, anybody that wants to donate to help uh, you keep the place up and running and looking snappy like a couple of good snap peas. <laughs> and we hope, Taryn, you and I talked about you coming here later in the season to do a class here at Hot Stove, maybe bringing some of the summer interns, we would be 
so delighted if that could happen. Yeah, once the berry season gets going in particular, it's a, you know, it's a feast out there, so it's really fun to try them all and things like that. We'll look forward to it. And then we could actually have some of the students in if they if yeah. want it and share recipes, because we're all about sharing those family recipes, as you know. Don't let the recipe die with you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. We've been talking with Taryn Corker. She's the garden guru at the New Start Shark Garden Project at the New Start High School in Burien, Washington. Uh, with uh, all the donations of extra food going to the White Center Food Bank. Thank you so much, Darren. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Ken. All right. Thank you. Up next, right it's uh, Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Time right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo. Uh, Chef Tom Douglas here. And Terry Rotorola, Chef in the Hat. And we are about ready to play our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. And Pamela has a surprise for us today. What's your surprise? We are so happy to have a listener competing with you, too. Really? She's been... Oh, a, really? They think a, they're hot stuff, do they? A dedicated admirer of the show. We're so glad she stepped up for this historic moment. And I recognize the name of somebody that we've sent a few packages to. Exactly, because she wa- she actually joins us on Facebook Live. Oh, so we have a so we have a <laughs> real competitor. Yep. Well, you know, uh, when you do use Rub with Love, you you get smarter, and so I'm a little worried that uh, we've sent her so many packages of Rub with Love. Well, Lori, I'm pretty brilliant at this point. Yes. Okay, pretty good. brilliant. <laughs> it it pretty seems brilliant. to be true then. A uh, rub with love tasty tri- trivia is uh, the rub with love is small batch versatile rubs sauces and mustards that bring extra layers of flavor to just about every meal. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shops, including Pamela. Actually, wrote down some places uh, that we're going to try and do every week. Your buddy Stan online, uh, Skagit's own fish market in Burlington, Wild Salmon at Fisherman's Terminal over there in Ballard, and, uh, and Bob's Quality Meats big seller of rub with love and of course all the big grocery chains have them get them while you can because uh because of the pandemic our jars have been back ordered for months and so we're going to be out for a while so if you see them in the store that might be your only chance sadly pamela tell us about the game uh obviously Lori is playing against us so she can't win today and uh <laughs> who's our who's going to win the prize if Lori wins the contest Catherine Bonney, she wrote in, she's watching the show, and she is very much in love with Terry's voice Ooh, and singing. Da da. Yeah, so she deserves okay, so if, if I lose, should, should I say, if I lose, I'll, uh, I'll make your message on your answering machine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except people don't use answering machines anymore. That's a problem. And the prize today is seafood rub, veggie rub, and the wonderful triple garlic teriyaki just in time for just grilling time. season. All right. Um, each contestant is going to get five questions, and we're going to start with Terry. All right. Here we go. Absolutely. Which has more protein, broccoli or steak? Some. Steak. It's broccoli. Number two, <laughs> pistachios are not a true botanical nut what are they the clock's ticking are they a flower they're the seeds of a fruit ah seeds of a fruit seed not not okay get it yeah uh where did german chocolate cake originate (laughs) let me guess uh 
Australia? No, just kidding. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Germany because that sounds too funny of a question, but isn't Black Forest, Black Forest cake, isn't that considered German cake? It was developed by Sam German in Texas in 1852 of because of the German, using the German's baking chocolate. Okay, uh-huh. here's a real Hummer. What two words make up spam? Oh. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm, I know one is ham. Yes, 50%. But, oh, my God. Spatula? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, how is it made? It's only a two-hour okay, show, Chef. Like <laughs> I'm totally like, what am I supposed to think about spam? Well, it's like ham, and uh, it's in a can, so <laughs> ham in a can. Ham in a can. It's Sam, I am. <laughs> it's spices. Sam, I am. Spices and oh. ham. Uh, hot water turns into ice faster than cold water. Is that true or false? True. Yes. Saving the day. What's the science behind that? <laughs> I haven't. I didn't get that far in the reading. I love that. But there's science. <laughs> She's like... It's just yes. It's just yes. Okay, here we go. Okay. Lori, Lori. We're going to start okay. with, for Lori, name the ethereal Italian dessert that is made by whisking egg yolks, marsala, and sugar together over simmer, simmering water. I am not a baker or a dessert person. Ah. Uh, we're going to zap you. We're going to zap I'm, you I'm then. going down. I'm going down. Lori, we're gonna, I'm giving you a clue. We're going to zap you then. They're going to zap me. Go, Terry. Give her another little... Zabayon. Oh, Zabayon. Of course. Okay. It's probably with... uh, You have to probably say the E, Zabayone, in Italian. Even spicier. Number two, what are the common animals used in a turducken? Turkey duck. It's not a chicken. Yes. Go for it. It is. (laughs) There we go. Hello. (laughs) Can we take a second and, Lori, have you tell us about... uh, what you felt when Pamela took out the Tasty Trivia Challenge? Uh, oh, come on. Do you want to espouse on that I mean, for a second? I, I, I just felt heartbroken. Yeah. It, it just, the show was not going to be complete. Um, I felt like I wasn't sure I was going to be able to watch it oh, anymore. Yeah, yeah that's it what was, we're talking about. It was, oof, it was a tough, tough day. Yeah. Disappointing day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad it's back. There you go. All right, we can continue. We're, we're we can jumping continue uh, into the... Uh, wine world. That's a little clue. What does Trocken Baron Ausschleis mean? Croak and Baron? Trocken. That's with a, a T-R-O-C-K. Trocken Baron Ausschleis. Like maybe a port or something? Well, that's dessert. Sweet. Sweet uh, is part of it. Sweet wine? Sweet yeah. wine? Yeah, I think we'll give it to you. It is the highest classification in Germany for the wines that are made from intensely shriveled grapes that are picked one by one. So we're giving it to you. Uh, Number four, the bright orange red row of the flying fish is called what? You know, I'm not sure. Starts with a T like my name. Tobiko. 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 You can find it in uh, a lot of Japanese fish markets, either seasoned with um, horseradish like, uh, you know, um, or chili or... Or whatever, mm-hmm. or plain. And Some you're a gardener, row. so I have high hopes for question five. <laughs> Which flower family are raspberries part of? Flower family that raspberries are part of. Well, they're a woody, woody stem. I know that, like blueberries. Little, is that, is little that, thorny. Is that, 
little thorny. What <laughs> am I just bombing this or what? No, you're way ahead of Terry. It's called the rose. It's called the rose. Oh, the rose! I got one. <laughs> so I was like, it's a woody stem. I, a, a rose has a woody stem. Can we? We can we give me a half a point there? Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah point okay. five. <laughs> All right. Okay. Two point oh, really? five. Oh, Screaming. really, Laurie? Okay. Screaming yeah, into yeah. the lead. Tom Douglas. Yeah. One big difference between lemons and limes is that one floats and one sinks. Which is which? The lemon sinks. The lime sinks. Oh. Number so two. Working, Lori. <laughs> what do you call... This is my favorite one. What do you call a single <laughs> strand of spaghetti? A spaghetti. <laughs> no. Spaghetto. Oh. <laughs> oh, so close. <laughs> Bananas are berries. True or false? False or flowers? No, it's true. Bananas. De- I knew they were berries. Yep, they develop from a flower with one single ovary and have a soft, sweet middle and contain one or more seeds. So they re- uh, fulfill the requirements of botanical berries. Number four: fifty percent of domestic cranberries are grown in what state? Washington State. Wisconsin. I'm just trying to go fast because you guys, <laughs> you guys many, all took so long. How many standard oh. size wine bottles are there in a Nebuchadnezzar? You know this one. 25. It's 20. Lori, <laughs> screaming. Congratulations. You're never invited <laughs> back on this show again. Congratulations to our winner. Nice job, Catherine. Uh, I guess I have to pay for the rub and the shipping. Yes, you do. If you want to be part of the show, you can join our community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, tech by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Have a fabulous weekend.